0: guys welcome to the hero academy podcast the place where you can celebrate and highlight our frontline heroes people such as nurses firemen ems police officers and military are all heroes without capes. i don't care about politics only positivity and purpose i only care about those that have chosen to serve our society i believe in collaboration over competition here you'll learn the secrets and strategies that let ordinary people become extraordinary inside of their purpose. Sometimes we'll throw in some simple side hustles that everyday regular people are doing, things that you could do to make some extra money, especially if you're starting to think about retirement and what's next. Inside this podcast, each week you'll learn from people like you that were working full-time but still found the time to create a course grow a big team, create a coaching program, a large audience, or a profitable side hustle. The steps they took, their backstories, and how they overcame their burnout that they were facing. The perfect blend of mindset and techniques. Carpe diem. Now let's get your dream lit for your freedom. I'm your host and coach, Super Dave. Let's go. Welcome to this week's episode of the Hero Academy podcast. If you are a first responder, law enforcement, military, nurse, or any other kind of EMS, you are in the right place. And this week's episode, I have Jason Lewis. Jason, I will let you introduce yourself. Just, uh, tell the audience, those people that don't know you, um, your history and your story all wrapped up in three minutes, if you can do that.
1: (laughs) All right. Uh, that's a little bit of a pressure. Uh, (laughs) thanks Dave. Thank you for the opportunity. Uh, it's really awesome to, to be on your podcast. Um, I am an active duty uh, sergeant with the uh, Ventura County Sheriff's department in Southern California. I am also the CEO of the briefing room, uh, and the briefing room uh, designs training topics for sergeants to use during briefing to make it really easy for them to uh, provide training to their officers so that they can avoid lawsuits and they can serve their community uh, the way they want to. So uh, my history is I have about uh, 23-ish years going on around there uh, uh, in law enforcement. Um, I've pretty much done law enforcement my entire adult life honestly since I was 16 I was an explorer uh with our sheriff's office Uh, so it's pretty much been a part of my entire life um my career has been focused a lot on training specifically use of force and uh defensive tactics that's kind of where my passion uh has light has been you train jiu-jitsu what's that you train jiu-jitsu I do I've trained jiu-jitsu again most of my adult life um jiu-jitsu is a big part of my life I love it um and I also make pizza. I'm a, I'm a pizzaiolo, so I have a big wood-fired oven in my backyard, and uh, those are my two hobbies, jujitsu and pizza.
0: That's awesome. You ever have any New Yorkers try your pizza?
1: <laughs> I have not had any New Yorkers over to my house to have pizza, um, but you're more than welcome. <laughs> I appreciate that. When uh, <laughs> I've only
0: been to Cali once. I was in Palm Desert, Palm Springs area. Uh-huh. Yeah, it was uh, beautiful. I loved it. I can't wait to go to like San Diego just on vacation. Mm -hmm. Um, But if I'm ever in Ventura, I will definitely hit you up and say, hey, I want (laughs) to try that pizza.
1: (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Uh, We were supposed to go out to New York actually to do a pizza tour. I was supposed to go with my family and then COVID hit. We had our tickets and everything and it all got canceled. So, um,
0: you know, barstool sports—that's how he that's got how he famous. Gets, sure. Yeah, trying yeah. pizza all around the country. <laughs> it's pretty yeah, crazy.
1: Yeah, um, yeah. Uh,
0: I think the two best places for pizza, according to people from Chicago and according to people from New York, is <laughs> New York and and Chicago. Like those are the two best. Do you like a deep crust or like a thin thin crust?
1: I have been to Chicago, and it was. Not my favorite pizza. I love New York. New York is my absolute favorite style of pizza. Yeah, and the Napoli second. So yeah, yeah, yeah. my two favorite I
0: like a grandma slice, not too much cheese. Mm.
1: Yeah, yeah. We have a great grandma place, uh, right, right, where I live. Yeah.
0: All right. So, um, so you're a sergeant now.
1: I am. Yeah, on patrol.
0: Oh, that's cool. That's cool. Um, and how long ago did you start your training company?
1: Uh, we've been in de- we we've been in development for about two years. We launched in, in October of last year. Yeah. That's really cool.
0: Um, uh, and I I so believe in training, man. I think it's so critical. Um, I've had mostly great bosses. Um, <laughs> when I was younger on the job, I was considering st- like the plan was to do like five to seven years on patrol, then go to the academy, study for boss, and then do the rest of my career, and then actually go up the ranks. But mm-hmm. I was having so much fun on midnights with my partner, you know, running and gunning and locking mm-hmm. up guys with guns, mm-hmm. uh, that we went the other route, and I went the community policing, then uh, mm-hmm. detective route. I went I went that route, and I've never mm-hmm. actually taken a
1: promotional test. <laughs> oh, Wow. That's 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 amazing.
0: I thought about uh about two or four two to four years ago, one of my fellow detectives was taking the test. He was getting promoted, and I thought about briefly taking it. I cracked open the books and I was like, nah, I'll just focus on business. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll stay a detective because yeah. there was a little bit of a pay cut from believe it or not, from detective making overtime to um to supervisor, they put you at an equal uh, pay step, you know, because we have steps for sergeants and detectives. Sure. they yeah. put you at an equal step. And um, our supervisors do make a few percentages more. It's like four or 6% more than detectives. Mm. But uh, with overtime, we do better than the, detect- than the sergeants. You know, so um, mm. I-, I got a buddy who's in homicide. And he does a crazy amount of hours and, uh, the pay cut, he he's turning down the promotion because he can't, he's going through some personal issues too. So he can't right. take, he can't take that, that pay cut. Do you, do you guys in your department experience that too?
1: Yeah, it's funny. We talked about, uh, before you started recording, we talked about how we're on opposite sides of the country. Uh, but, uh, we're, we're basically it's identical, uh, you know, we're identical, uh, yeah. and we can relate to each other very well in yes. our experiences. Uh, I, I am very lucky. I, I love our agency. It's basically my home, you know, Um, and uh, we're like the perfect size where I've been able to work detectives. I've been able to work at the Academy twice. I've been oh, able to, cool. you know, you can do so many things, but you're not just a number. If, right. if that makes sense. Um, But my experience with detectives and the overtime and the promotion is exactly, exactly what you're talking about.
0: How long ago did you get
1: promoted? um four years four or five years ago
0: okay and before what were you doing before you got promoted were you a detective then
1: I was a detective I was a tech detective on our uh our, bur- our burglary team our career criminal team but primarily we did burglaries because we're just north of Los Angeles county yeah. and so uh our county gets hit with a lot of burglaries from burglars in los angeles county so it makes sense uh that's primarily what i did and i loved it because to me burglary is it's like one of those ultimate violation kind of a crime you know like you're going into someone's house yeah that's a that that was just a, a passion i loved i love doing it i love chasing those guys down and finding them and the shock on their face when you're you know when your team jumps them and you know you get to take them to jail and uh uh Get people's stuff back. I love that.
0: My house was burglarized when I was uh, seventeen or eighteen. My, I can't. I think it was my senior year of high school. Uh, the guy was so disrespectful. He left a like a forty-ounce beer bottle on my kitchen table, <laughs> my, mom, my mom's kitchen table, oh. and uh, you know, and back then, before DNA was so prevalent uh i heard stories of people taking dumps and you know in the living mm. room i heard a lot of stories like that where like they would break in and they would just be so disrespectful like it was a joke but no one yeah. no now they know that you can't leave behind because you,
1: know? <laughs> you will get caught. i guess that's one benefit yeah it's one DNA. benefit
0: and and then um now the prevalence of ring cameras it mm. helps it helps so much you know, like there's so yeah. many more cameras everywhere. Uh, one unit that I would like to go to now is the electronics unit uh, for my last my last year where they uh, download the video from different. Yeah. They had so many great, great videos from uh, they they went to the uh, investigators school and they showed mm-hmm. these great videos of like just people crashing into gas stations <laughs> and, you know, mm-hmm. and and hurting people things like that and it was just like comical watching people back up you know and go forward back up and Mm. uh just hit people and just like peel off and you know Mm. yeah (laughs) uh what do you train on in the briefing room
1: oh so the briefing room uh trains on everything we do 90 second training clips uh so they're designed for sergeant it's truly designed for a sergeant to generate discussion during briefing. So as a sergeant, most agencies expect you or want you to provide some level of training during briefing or roll call. Same here. And, yeah. and that's a burden. You know, That's if you're really going to do that, you have to spend time the previous day putting together a training topic, make sure you know what you're talking about, uh, and you have to do that day after day. And because of that, either most sergeants either don't do it. And a few will do something like pull up a shooting video, you know, or something like that and talk about it. But the truth is, how many of your guys, how often are your guys involved in shootings? You know, are your officers involved in shootings every day? Or are they making case law decisions? Like, uh, are they going to search? Are they not going to search? Uh, Is this guy, is service on this guy's restraining order considered valid or is it not? You know, those are the real decisions that they're making every day. And so that's what the briefing room does. We cover uh, case opinions that come out uh, because most cops don't know that case opinions, they come out every week, sometimes every day, uh, case opinions are coming out um, that answer questions on actions that other cops are doing. uh, And it's the court saying, cops, listen, this is what you can do or no, this is something you can't do. and for the most part, we don't listen to that. Uh, nobody tells us about it. We think the state—we think state mandates uh, tell us about it. They do not. I promise you. I read—I read essentially every case opinion that comes out for sure in California and the Ninth Circuit and many from other circuits. Your state—your state mandates do not tell you about these case opinions, um, or we think uh, that some magical attorney or our agency will let us know and it's just not happening the system is broken the system that we rely on to keep us updated is broken yeah uh, some
0: people never pick up a uh, a penal law update you know they go that, to the academy and they never pick right. up an update ever
1: that's right and if some people in your agency are lucky enough to be sent to training on it the whole agency is not sent to training on it, right? A few people may be lucky enough to go. So the briefing room is designed to empower sergeants to train the entire agency in the same things. Uh, Modern training, it is not check the box, just uh, trying to get through state mandate training. It is not boring. Everything is intended to be short, one concept. Uh, Sergeants get a key points worksheet. So they get all the questions uh, that they, they can ask of their shift to generate discussion. Uh, so they get their training done and they're out the door and into the field. That's, That's what pretty briefing cool. does.
0: That's pretty cool. I like it. Um, what led you to form the company? Like, was there like a triggering something or yeah. like what gave you the idea?
1: I was the, uh, I was the in-service training supervisor for our regional training center at our academy for four years. Nice. And during that time, I've sat on our use of force review board for many years. And we would often see things happening that were just repeated mistakes you know, um, that officers were doing that should be relatively easy to fix, but we didn't have a mechanism to fix it. We would have to wait two years for them to come through training to train everybody, and that's just not efficient. So right. at that time, I came up with, uh, uh, we called them quick training clips. Uh, so it was 90-second training videos that we could Notice this mistake. Go film a really quick video and send it out agency wide, and that was really popular. And other agencies started asking me for uh, if they could have access to it. That's Um, uh, that's the ninety
0: second. The ninety seconds. That's brilliant because uh, that was you. You had that concept before TikTok became popular. (laughs) Short short form short form content.
1: (laughs) You know. You know. Cops have a short attention span. Yes. and it's also, you can send them to an eight-hour class, but they're not retaining eight hours of information. They're retaining yes. very, very little information. So the real way to get information across to them is to just give them one simple concept and let that marinate. And then the next day, another simple concept. And that's really how we learn and so that's what the 90 seconds was about. And the 90 seconds, the hardest thing about the 90 seconds is it forces the instructor to stick to one concept. Right. Mm-hmm. And so as an instructor, you'll say one thing, then you'll jump to another and another and another. And before you know it, you're, you were in California and now you're in Long Island. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what's, so
0: um, what's one of the things that you're like most passionate about training? Is it, uh, I use like of force of force use of force, use of force
1: is, is my is my baby, but uh you know we have a whole team of everybody involved in the briefing room is active duty law enforcement. so uh, everybody has their own different uh sort of sort of passions. And so luckily, uh everything is't just use of force. It's you know we do everything. we do officer safety, we do wellness, we do um uh, case laws from all from uh, all over the country. A lot of it is ninth circuit in California. Um, and so we have a wide breadth of, you know, people that are uh, like tactics, you know, so teaching how to, how to do building clearings and those sorts of things. So, uh, we try to get opinions from everybody's expertise. Um, and I would say another Genesis was it drives me crazy guys like you, you told me you're, you may be retiring, soon, right? Yep. Uh, We lose your experience. Yep. So everything you've learned in over 20 years of law enforcement, 25 years of law enforcement, you're going to retire and it's just going to go away. And the next generation doesn't get to learn that. And so the briefing room is also a mechanism for people like you to share the lessons you've learned and your experience. And so the next generation coming up can learn from that. Uh, rather than just losing it. I mean, I can't, I can't even tell you the number of people that I've worked with and no, are no longer involved in law enforcement and numerous people that have experience that I would love to draw from right now. And they're just gone. Uh, you know, they're just okay. not with us.
0: Yep. Um. I, I know I know that when I started, I I didn't have the greatest training officers until I was off of field training. And then I started working with some Mm -hmm. really great cops, like as, as my partners,
1: Mm -hmm. and
0: that's when I really started learning the most. Mm -hmm. Um, So I I completely understand your point. I would love to come out to California and share some of my knowledge. I, I felt like I was a really great street cop and i felt like i was an okay detective average
1: <laughs> interesting yeah
0: yeah that's just uh always been my my belief <laughs> you know like uh i just felt like i was a really good I, for 17 years i was a street cop so you know it's wow. a, a lot of experience that's a long
1: time yeah, yeah a long
0: time and 7 years as a detective um what's three pieces of advice that you would give yourself if you could talk to your your you know 20 year old self
1: Uh, the first one would be find a mentor. No, no, nobody told me that when I was, uh, younger, I struggled a lot when I was a brand new uh, deputy. Um, even though I had been through the Explorer program, i struggled a lot and I didn't really understand why some people, uh, get specialized assignments really quickly and other people don't. And, um, what they were doing you know we would just say I don't know if you have the saying but we would just say oh that guy's golden that person's golden right but the truth is there's things that they're doing that um that put them in the eye of people who make decisions um and that's why for the most part of course you have family members and nepotism and that kind of thing you know but uh, we call we call those
0: hooks we call those hooks you call them hooks
1: too no what does hook refer to like they're Uh, just they're just brought along
0: or or crane so like if you have a really powerful Mm -hmm. hook uh the crane comes down and grabs you and you know (laughs) places you where you where you want to (laughs) be
1: well i will tell you i never had a crane in my entire career (laughs) me me either me either that's why i was on patrol for 17 years So re- So really, the, my younger self uh, would be to find a mentor, somebody who, uh, and actually, eventually, I, I did. And that's what got me into uh, use of force. But that just kind of happened by happenstance, because I had an interest, and then the, they had an interest, and then, you know, it worked out that way. But uh, I could have easily, had I known that, sought that out much, much sooner, and gone the direction I wanted to go much sooner. Um, so So I guess that um, I guess uh, number two is listen to case law, not just the opinions of other officers, because as cops, we tend to if we don't know what to do. We ask somebody else and they tell us just what they've done. And you know what the truth is, what they've done. They're just getting from the last guy that did it. And that guy's getting it from the last guy that did it. Right no one's actually checking to see if, is this actually uh, within the parameters of case law and statutory law or not. So uh, once I started, and it didn't start till later in my career, once I started actually reading case opinions, it was like, wow, there's there's a whole whole breadth of knowledge out there of the courts telling us you can do this, you cannot do that. And most of us don't don't even know about it, and then once you start digging into that, you go, "Wait a minute, what we've always done here is is wrong, and what we've always done here is wrong so, as my younger self, I was you know suicidal in their house alone uh we're we're kicking the door in, and we're you know we're fighting that person over a knife and you know getting into into huge things because we're told that if we don't go save them, we're liable. And that's absolutely not true. You know, and that's just one example of where we increase our liability. We increase our risk of injury to ourselves and we risk increase our risk of injury to other people needlessly because of a rumor. Um, So case opinion fixes a lot of that understanding what you truly do have to do and don't have to do. Um, and third, I would say uh, to just have fun. I mean, it's <laughs> this job is super fun. The people you meet, the friends you make, uh, uh, the things you get to do. I still get super jazzed, you know. we uh, My shift responded to a call of a, a lady shooting a gun into a house uh, uh, from the street a couple of weeks ago, you know. And my team responded and they did an amazing job and it was super fun. You know, it was super, it was just super, it was and just, no, and
0: no one got hurt.
1: No one got hurt, you know, cause they handled it like professionals and it was just uh, it was just really exciting to see training pay off one. Uh, but also just being out, you know, being outside nighttime, you know, not stuck behind a desk, all that stuff. So it's just have fun with it. Don't get so caught up in, in things like, uh, you know, Somebody's somebody's upset with you, so they're yelling at you and that kind of stuff. Or you know, an inmate is angry. Like, who cares? I mean, (laughs) you know, there's so much good stuff about this career.
0: Um, How much longer do you think you'll be staying?
1: I have a long time. I have uh, 11 more years. 11 more years. I I started very young. I was in the academy at 19 years old, Um, and I have uh, 11 more years to go.
0: So Your department uh, or your state has an age, is that what it is?
1: Um, generally, people will retire at 55, that's when you max out your retirement. Okay, um, you could do from 50 to 55, but uh, generally, uh, most people do 55.
0: So, when you retire, you'll have 34 years in S-
1: something like that, yeah, yeah,
0: wow, wow. And then, what's your next project? Are you gonna uh go on a, on a tour. Are you like, are you going to sail <laughs> up into the sunset? What are you going to do? Have you seen street cop training online? Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. They're building a pretty large, uh, training company too.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, what's my next step? I don't know. My eventual goal is to just uh, continue to travel. I actually, fortunately my wife and I got to spend a year of our lives backpacking around the world. Wow,, uh, and that was an amazing experience. Um, and I would like to continue that again and and do that uh, when I'm older.
0: How did you, you take know? a year off the job?
1: <laughs> I left our agency for a short for a short period, um, and we sold everything that we owned. Wow, and we uh, threw a couple backpacks on and we backpacked around the world. So we went through South America, Europe northern Africa and Asia.
0: That's incredible. Uh, it yeah. had to be a test of the relationship. Did you guys get stronger <laughs> after it? or Because there, there, there's always challenging moments when you're traveling.
1: <laughs> there were challenging moments. Uh, there were some very difficult times where you can't, you know, your bus gets in late and there's no place for you to stay. And so you're on the street <laughs> for that night. Uh, or, you know, you're in third world countries. So sometimes you're sleeping in like a salt hotel or, you know, uh, a place with, but I mean, the whole room is just infested with bugs. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so you're sleeping in a, you're sleeping in a room, but in a bug tent as well. Yeah,
0: okay. I did that once.
1: <laughs> yeah. Did you, yeah. did you enjoy it?
0: I did not. I did not. (laughs) I did not. I could barely sleep. Uh, There was a lot of partying going on at like two in the morning and uh, a lot of bugs all around me. And I said, you know what? Uh, I think I prefer a room with a door (laughs) and not a net with bugs.
1: (laughs) So there were challenges like that or like uh, getting lost in the Amazon, um, you know, a whole bunch of stories. But there's also amazing things like spending time in Normandy, France, which is just one of the highlights of my life. And in Thailand, you know, I got to spend six weeks training at a Muay Thai camp in Thailand.
0: How old were you when you did that?
1: (sighs) That's a good question.
0: Or how long ago was it roughly?
1: Maybe 20, maybe 26 okay maybe somewhere around there
0: wow that's incredible man yeah so you stayed a lot of hostels also
1: oh yeah for sure we were on a budget uh yeah. staying in hostels and you know when you get to someplace like Bolivia you can splurge on a beautiful seven dollar uh hotel room but <laughs> you know yeah. for the most part it's uh it's in hostels yeah
0: yeah yeah, yeah. I did that um I did that in Colombia and in Japan I stayed at a couple of hostels the one in Japan was like a brand new it it might as well have been a hotel but Mm -hmm. it was a hostel and it was really really nice Mm -hmm. yeah I I did that I love traveling also but traveling for a year I don't know if I would want to do that for that long you had to you had to really appreciate once you got back home
1: I wanted to I wanted to keep going my wife was ready to come home totally understandably yeah Coming home was, um, uh, I remember uh, we got in really early in the morning, our flight, and it was too early to go to my mom's house. And so we went to a Denny's and the Denny's felt, it felt extravagant. I mean, it felt it—it it, like we might as well have been eating in the Taj Mahal. It was just, it was like the, the menu and everything available and the... <laughs> you know, the the decorations and everything. It was just, yeah, it's funny how you can have that reverse culture shock coming back.
0: Yeah, it definitely makes you appreciate everything else around you so mm-hmm. much more. I, that's why I encourage people to travel, especially when you go to third world countries and then you come mm-hmm. back home and you're like, wow, I, I live in a very wealthy area.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. I'll tell you what I appreciate most of this day is that I can go, I can decide what food I want anywhere you know i can get thai food vietnamese food mexican food italian food Uh, it's just an amazing luxury that uh we i missed when i was uh out of the country
0: that's one of the things that i love about new york is the variety of foods that you can find you can find so many different types of you know whatever you want pretty much whenever you want and that's one of the things that i love about new york california and arizona you Mm -hmm. know it's like the variety of foods that you can find
1: yeah, agreed. Hey, now I got. You need to come more. out here. I, I think we'd get along. You need to come out here.
0: I'm definitely coming out. I'm definitely coming out. And uh, when I come out, I'm gonna eat your pizza, and, <laughs> and and we're gonna go for for a small hike in those in those hills around you.
1: Uh-huh. Uh Yeah.
0: For, for a little walk and talk, I'm yeah definitely going out to California. And, uh, <laughs> me and my lady, we love to take walks, so we're awesome. definitely. We, we accidentally took an 11 mile walk in the uh in Arizona we were going out for a four mile walk and it ended up being an 11 mile walk and uh because we got a little lost <laughs> not paying attention to the splits and you know in the in the in the signs and mm-hmm. uh, we ended up going the long way and that was uh that was definitely a challenge.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hopefully you brought extra food and water. We had nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've made that mistake plenty of times. <laughs> we
0: uh, actually had a really big breakfast. Um, it was like a really, really good oatmeal breakfast that we had. So we were sustained on, but we didn't have water. We didn't have anything <laughs> because we thought we were taking a short you know hour and a half walk and it turned
1: into <laughs> yeah
0: <five hours. laughs> turned a, into a death march, march. <laughs> yeah a death march that's what it was at the end um and we did a double black diamond mountain side wow. was like she was like oh let's check out this double black diamond And I was like oh my god no <laughs> there was yeah. one point where there was a couple points where we were both kind of scared because it was uh it was pretty pretty crazy up there you know but we saw yeah. this guy on a bike go up ahead of us so we're like how bad can it be
1: <laughs> yeah when uh when we were when my wife and I were in the amazon we took this little this we, this this guy took us on this tour and he was just like Steve Irwin like he was super excited about everything in the jungle and he was uh-huh. you know he'd like come across a super deadly snake and be like oh <laughs> i'm going to catch this and everything and that's just as he was he was such a cool such a cool person um but the sun went it was just the two of us and one other doctor from uh, Spain and this this guide and he lost the trail and so we're, we're walking and the sun goes down so it's pitch dark and he loses the trail oh and he God. says he says stay here I'll be right back and he oh leaves my God. So there's the three of us standing alone in the Amazon jungle (laughs) when you hear all these sounds around you. Yeah. With only headlights on, you know, and he's gone for, he's gone for uh, whatever it was, five to 10 minutes. That that's a scary time (laughs) because is this guy coming back or not? Or, you know, what are you going to (laughs) do?
0: Yeah. What if something happens to him? What if something happens to your
1: guide? Exactly. I can't
0: imagine that. Uh, I yeah. guess you could navigate your way out with a compass, right? Get kind of if,
1: Maybe if we had a compass and maybe if we had a map, but without <laughs> either of those, we were just three fools standing in the Amazon jungle uh, with no one to guide us out.
0: <laughs> oh, that's so scary. All right. I'm going to respect your time and I'm going to hit you with my last five rapid fire questions. What's okay. your definition of a hero?
1: Ooh, I think my definition of a hero is somebody who stands up uh, for what they believe in, uh, regardless of the consequences. And even if it costs them their career or costs them their life, um, they feel they're doing the right thing and they're willing to willing to sacrifice for it.
0: Person of principle, I would call that. Yeah. And when stress is at its highest and you're starting to feel low, how do you save yourself and how you show yourself love?
1: Uh From jujitsu, I've learned to breathe and just try to slow things down and and calm down. So that's the first one. And then just take things from like what's important right now. What do I have to do in this moment? And is it nothing? Can I just take a break and come back to it uh, to get my mind right?
0: You know, I'm so sad that we're running out of time because I could talk about jujitsu for like the next 20 minutes. I'm a big advocate big fan. All three of my sons wrestled since, uh, kindergarten. And right. then I uh, had them train jujitsu also. And every brand new cop, I tell them, uh, you got to train jujitsu at least for a year or two, you know, just until you feel proficient until mm-hmm. you get your confidence where it needs to be. So many people, they train in the academy for defensive tactics. They do six weeks of training and they never, ever train again. Like we were talking about the penal law, like never looking at the penal law again It's like, How do you expect to know how to do something to defend yourself or your weapon six years, 12 years later when you're in a scenario and you only trained one time in Mm -hmm. your entire life Mm -hmm. for six weeks.
1: Yeah. (laughs) It's just not not That's why a lot of times you get these stories like the guy was, he was, the suspect was such a good fighter and he was so strong and, I was dropping bombs on him and nothing was working. But when you actually, now that we have video, you can watch the video and you can go, um, I admire your heart a lot, but, uh, the reality is if you, you could do this, you could do that. You could do this, you could do that. And that would have completely changed this. But the truth is, you know, a white belt is a beginner in jujitsu and most cops aren't even white belts. You know, they're like, they're like third week white belts. Um, And yep. and that's why a lot of these things turn into these bigger incidents.
0: Yep. All right. Number three, uh, would you ever consider offering coaching down the line, um, or adding that to your already busy plate? Uh,
1: you mean like me doing coaching? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Would you coach
1: um, other? No I'm, no, I'm focused on the briefing room. I think sergeants in the agencies are are best suited for something like coaching. And my, my goal is to support sergeants. Uh, well, you so kind of do, thing.
0: you kind of do with the briefing room already. Yeah. Right. Like that's kind of already what it is. It's, it's right. a, it's a training company, right?
1: It, it is. And it's giving sergeants the tools to mentor and build exemplary officers, you know, on their own.
0: I love that. And I appreciate right. it. And I think it's so needed. Um, that's why I wanted to have you on. I just wanted to give you your roses face to face and yeah,
1: thanks. tell you that
0: <laughs> it. it's, it's very, very much, very needed, and it's 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 a cool thing that you do. Uh, what's your greatest power? Number four. What's your greatest power? What's your greatest strength?
1: I don't know. Maybe you should ask somebody else that. Question. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my greatest strength is I'm never, I'm never, uh, I'm never. My greatest strength and sometimes greatest weakness is I'm never uh, satisfied with status quo or with what I'm doing now. I can always, I can always see where something where I feel something should be in the future. So I'm always striving for that, for that next thing, which makes me, which is why the briefing room is what it is and, you know, why it's so high quality, but at the same time, you know, that can drive you you and other people insane if you don't keep it in check. <laughs>
0: um, I heard this concept. I have it in my list of big ideas. It's called divine discontent. And it basically means we can always improve on things. And that was something that um, they say, Bill Gates and Steve, jo- you're in good company, Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, they have that, be- they always had that belief like, hey, that's good, but we can improve on, mm. we can improve, we can improve, we can improve. And it drove a lot of their employees crazy.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, they would
0: say, sure. Steve, Steve, it's, it's good enough. And they go, yeah, but we can make it better.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's me for 100%.
0: You're absolutely right. (laughs) Uh, My last question for you, if you had a comic book superpower, what would that superpower be, like a comic book superpower,
1: and and why? I'm going to go with, I'm going to say, number one, I'm going to go on record saying that Superman is the best superhero that was ever uh, ever created, Um, and anything I could do that would be in relation to Superman, I would be down for, so if it's super strength, I'll take it. If it's the ability to fly, I'll take it. If it's laser beams from my eyeballs, I'll take it. Well, what
0: made Superman and Shazam so cool is that they had speed, power, and flight. It's like you combine those three things. Right. Like, oh, and invincibility, where like, you know, bullets bounce off of you. It's like you combine those things and it's like you're pretty unstoppable.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So let's go with Superman.
0: <laughs> uh, I I love it. Jason, thank you so much for coming on and uh we'll definitely stay in touch. I gave you my cell number in the uh messages on LinkedIn and uh we'll stay in touch, all right? I'll talk to you soon.
1: Awesome. Thanks for the opportunity. No problem.
0: All right, all right, family. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Everyone I interview, I've chosen for you guys because of their story, and I hope that you get some value every single time. If you did get value or just just simply enjoyed the episode, please share the episode with someone that you know. If you know of a guest, a frontline hero that has an amazing story, something uplifting or a positive message, hit me up in the contact form of www.davidleith.com or DM me at Instagram at David Leith, the number one. Subscribe to the show because I have some really phenomenal guests coming up in the next few weeks that you definitely don't want to miss. All right, one.